So if that doesn't bring peace, then I don't know, you know. All right. So we're going to talk about peace this week. Um, when I think of peace um, in my life, it's, it's, it's like you start off always thinking about the peace for yourself. How do you get peace? And I think as you get older and older, you start thinking more and more about, you know, how do your kids obtain peace? How do you do things to help your kids have peace? How do you do things to help your neighbors have peace? Um, and so as I've been preparing today, it's really been on my mind a lot of this idea. What I wrote down was how do we infuse peace into the world around us? And then the other one is not to mention how do we tolerate the lack of peace? And so part of it is how do we, how do we push that peace out there? And the other part of it is when there's not peace, how do we live amongst it? How many of you guys work in a place that once in a while is not so peaceful? Right, right. Don't, don't, everybody's waving. Yeah. And, uh, when I see mean people at work, I work with mean people and, uh, I do. And, uh, you know, it's really frustrating. You know, when you see someone that's so interested in getting their, their thing accomplished in life or getting, getting through something that they're after, that they're willing to walk over some poor sucker over here that they don't even know what's going on in that guy's life. They don't know what happened to him last night. You know, they don't realize he's going to the hospital every night to help a friend who's dying or something like that. And it, and it comes in completely stressed out and this person just hammers them when they come in. So that's been on my mind quite a bit. And so, um, what I want to talk about today in our, uh, our reading for the day is Esther and it's Esther, uh, chapter four. Um, how many of you guys know who Esther is? It's Fred Sanford's wife, right? How many of you knew it was Fred Sanford's wife? <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately, I, I know that one better than I know this one. Um, it's the big one, Esther, right? You always say, I'm, I'm coming to join you, huh? Oh, was Esther someone else? See, I don't even know. Yeah, I still know this one less. So I want to give you guys... I did a little digging, and uh, wow, that's terrible. Um, so I did a little digging into the story of Esther, and I want to just share that with you guys, because most people, I would say in general, don't know this story. I certainly don't know this story very well. Um, so Esther happened about 400, uh, or the, the writings of this book and the happenings in it are about four to 500 years before Christ. You know, so this predates Christ. This is Old Testament stuff. In this story that I'm going to talk about today, there are these key players. So I want you to, I'm going to leave these on the screen so that you don't get too confused because I have a hard time with these names. So there's King um, Ahasuerus or King Xerxes. That's the same person. So you'll see that name sometimes depending on the translation. Um, it's one or the other. And I've forgotten, I think one's Greek and one's not Hebrew, but something else, I believe. Or maybe the other way around. Do you know, Jen? Which it, one's, when I looked it up, one's, it's one way or the other. It's, it's one language or another. Okay. Okay. So King Ahasuerus, okay. And then his queen, Vashti, um, at least for a little while. And then there's Esther. And Esther is a Jew. She's an orphaned Jew, so she has no parents at the time of this story. But she has this cousin that I'm going to pronounce Mordecai. And so Mordecai is Esther's cousin. He is her PCG, primary caregiver, right? That's, you think that's a new term, but that's what they used back then, um, <laughs> primary caregiver. Um, and so 
Um, there are also a couple guys in the story. There's two officers in the story, two of the king's officers you're going to hear about. And then there's this Prince Haman. Okay. Now, what's funny about Prince Haman is, okay, he's a really important dude, lots of clout in the kingdom. But if you dig back into his roots, his roots date way back to um, some very adversarial family roots with the Jews. And it appears as though some of that's being carried over. So he's not particularly fond of the Jewish folks, and he himself is not a Jew, by the way. Okay, and then the last person I should throw out there is Hathak. Hathak is just this messenger that bounces back and forth. Okay, so in the first chapter, King Ahasuerus is having this ginormous feast. So there's a big, big party going on with King Ahasuerus. And he decides that he wants to have his queen come and entertain for the party. And Jill shared with me that apparently in some version he talks about having his queen come and wear her crown. And some people think that he literally meant just your crown um, to entertain your friends. And so Queen Vashti did not agree to do that. Okay, she wasn't up for that. Maybe some of you ladies could relate to that. Um, And so um, what started happening that was interesting is there were people that got all worried about this because they said, oh, my goodness, king, if you let Queen Vashti do this and you don't put the hammer down, then what's going to happen? All these women are going to want to be independent. You know, they're going to have women's lib in 1485. And uh, so they were really worried about this. And so all it kind of says is that Queen Vashti was, I can't remember the word they used, but deposed, I think was the word it was translated as. So we don't know that she was killed, but she was certainly taken out of the picture. Okay, so that gives us a flavor for how King Ahasuerus works. Woman, you don't come dance for me, you're done. Okay, that's the way it works. All right, chapter 2. In chapter 2, the king is looking for a new queen, so they go around, they find all of the virgin women in the area and have them come. It's a big, long ordeal, lasts a year, and in the end... He really likes this person named Esther. Beautiful young lady, and so she becomes the new queen. So in chapter 2, you've got a new queen of Esther. Um, And then another interesting thing happens, and all this is pulling together to to make this story clear. Also in chapter 2, Mordecai, he is hanging out at one of the king's gates to the palace. And while he's hanging out there, he overhears these two officers chatting And he hears that they are plotting to kill the king. All right. And so he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, my cousin is the queen. This is no good. So somehow or another, he gets the message to the queen, tells her what happens. And the king sends people down. These two guys are killed, taken out of the picture. Okay. Again, this is how things worked back then. But what's really important is that the king is so impressed by this that he has it written down and acknowledges how impressed he was with this Mordecai dude. All right, so we've got the king. We've got his queen Vashti. She's out of the picture. We've got new queen Esther, and we've got Esther's um, cousin, Mordecai, who is now written officially in the king's books as one awesome dude. Okay, that's chapter 2. So now chapter 3 is where Prince Haman comes into the picture. Prince Haman... um, is well-known in the kingdom. He is uh, quite influential. Um, the king is certainly impressed with Prince Haman. And so the king sends out this kind of edict that says, I want to make sure I get this right. Yes, it says that as Prince Haman 
roams around the neighborhood in the uh, in this land. Oh, and by the way, I'll stop for just a moment. We'll come back to this. Where they are located is in Susa, right here. Okay. And Jerusalem is here. So this would be Israel. So this is God's chosen land. We're in a time of exile when a lot of the Jews, maybe almost all the Jews, have dispersed. And they're kind of like all over this area in different places. But in this particular area, there are a number of Jews. And just to make it click a little bit, by the way, look, it's straight above the Persian Gulf. So you can see right here is where it's at. Here's a modern map. If you look at the Persian Gulf here, straight above is right in here about Baghdad, kind of Iran. So, so this is the area that they're in, okay? So just kind of interesting because there's still a lot of fighting between these different groups today. Okay, so now, so he's gotten this special permission to, to walk around and make everybody bow down to him. He's like this special dude, Prince Haman is, okay? And guess what happens? Mordecai, awesome Jewish dude, says, ain't no bowing down by me unless you're God. Okay, so he's like, I am not going to bow down to this dude, which causes all kinds of problems. Okay. So Haman gets very upset in this situation, and he goes to the king. Now, one thing that's interesting, it seems as though the king doesn't recognize that Esther is a Jew. I'm not sure about that. This seems a little weird to me. I would have thought that maybe there would have even been a look um, he would have been able to tell by looking at her that she looked different, but uh, maybe not. Um, but it appears as though he didn't know that. And so Prince Haman sets up this thing that says, um, and by the way, he did it with a bribe. So he goes to the king with some money and says, I'm going to set this date. And on this date, I want all Jews killed, all Jews in your kingdom. So in this area near Susa, he says, all Jews are going to be killed. Are you guys with me? Okay. All right. So King Ahasuerus kills, kills or deposes of Vashti, new queen Esther. Cousin Mordecai won't bow down to Prince Haman. Prince Haman says, I'm going to kill all the Jews. Okay. And he gets the permission and it's all done. And now we go to chapter 4, which is the chapter um, that we're going to be focused on today for, for Esther. We go to chapter 4 and... Basically, the word goes out, and Mordecai learns of the word, and he is going crazy. He's ripping his clothes, which is a disgrace to do that. And so his cousin Esther hears about this, and she's trying to, like, calm things down. Um, and he starts trying to do anything to get Esther to use her power as queen, because she does have some influence um, to take care of things. And so that's where we're at. Jews are getting ready to be killed. Esther happens to be a Jew. Uh, cousin um, Mordecai is trying to get it to stop. And here we are, Esther chapter 4, and I will read this. So then Esther called for Hathak. Now, Hathak was that messenger I told you, the bottom person I mentioned. Okay, so this is just a, a run-between person. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, chosen by the king to serve her. Esther ordered him to find out what was bothering Mordecai and why. So Hathak went to Mordecai, who was in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told Hathak everything that had happened to him. And he told Hathak about the amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for, killing the, for, for the killing of the Jewish people. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the order to kill the Jewish people, which had been given in Susa. He wanted Hathak to show it to Esther 
and to tell her about it. And Mordecai told him to order Esther to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and to plead with him for her people. Okay, pretty clear. Hathak went back and reported to Esther everything Mordecai had said. Then Esther told Hathak to, to tell Mordecai, and this is so key, all the royal officers and people of the royal states know that no man or woman may go to the king in the inner courtyard without being called. There is only one law about this. Any who enters must be put to death unless the king holds out his gold scepter. Then that person may live. And I have not been called to go to the king for 30 days. Okay, big deal here. She knows if she goes to the king to talk about this, there is a clear rule that if he's not in the mood to talk, she's dead. She knows what happened to Vashti. The king would not be too hesitant potentially to do that. Okay. Um, she also knows that the king has not called for her for 30 days, which is most people would take that to mean that at this point in time, for whatever reason, he wasn't that interested in her. Okay. And so he wasn't having her come to his presence for uh for um, daily interaction, we'll say. Um, I'm trying to be as proper as I can. Okay, so now, so Esther's message was given to Mordecai, and then Mordecai sent back word to Esther. Just because you live in the king's palace, don't think that out of all the Jewish people, you alone will escape. If you keep quiet at this time, someone else will help and save the Jewish people. So he's got this faith in God. He knows the Jewish people are going to be um, uh, kept alive through this in some way. He just doesn't know how. But he says, uh, if you keep quiet at this time, someone else will help and save the Jewish people, but you and your father's family will all die. And who knows, you may have been chosen queen for just such a time as this. Now I'm going to push pause before I get into 15. That is a powerful word. I don't know if any of you have ever had this happen, but but I've had a version of this happen in my life when someone that I trusted very much came to me and said, I see something in you. I see the possibility that maybe part of your purpose on this world is to do X. Anybody, have anybody ever say something kind of like that to you? It's big, isn't it? It's ginormous when that happens because you're sensing that God is working through them. It's at least a possibility. And it, like, unsettles you, but it also humbles you, and it's a great way to push. And so uh, I think this, this note that was sent through Hathak from, from um, Mordecai is pretty impressive. So at the end of 14, and who knows, you may have been chosen queen for just such a time as this. Another interesting point that my wife pointed out to me, you're kind of a pseudo-Esther person, if you call it that, um, Esther knowledgeable person, at least. Um, she said that you'll notice in Esther that God, the word God, is not used very often. There's lots of uh, places in it where it's implied, where you can kind of read that between the lines, like right there. And who knows, you may have been chosen. And you could read between the lines and say that God may have chosen you for just such a time. But that verbiage is not used. Um, and I don't know if there's a reason why. Um, Anybody have any idea? I don't know. No comments. All right, move on. I just thought it was interesting. Okay, so then verse 15. So then Esther sent this answer to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jewish people in Susa together. For my sake, fast. Do not eat or drink for three days. 
night and day. I and my servant girls will also fast. Then I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I die, I die. So Mordecai went away and did everything Esther had told him to do. Now, I can tell you the first time I read this, I was like, Advent, peace, and this? You know, it's like, who chose this? How in the world can this relate to peace? What do you guys think? I prepped it for you. How in the world does this relate to peace? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Any thoughts? If anybody flinches, I'm calling on you. So you have to sit really still. How could this possibly relate to peace? Nothing. Nothing. And if I die, I die. Yeah. Yeah. If she's successful, huge peace, right? Uh, yes, that's true. Um, yeah. yeah the, and I think this, this hits home for me. The more I thought about it, the more it really grew on me because it hits home with me, this idea of how my view of peace is oftentimes all about what I'm getting out of it, not what I'm putting into it. And so as I said in the beginning, it's like, is this whole idea of peace, is it all about the way it was at one point in my life when I'm always thinking about what Christmas gift am I going to get, for example? I'm serious. I mean, that's what's going to make me happy, right? Do I get what I asked for or do I get surprised with something even better, you know, something like that? Or is it about what do I get to put into the situation? What do I get to, to do for someone? Is somebody hurting around me and needs help? And maybe I am in the position I'm at for just such a reason. You know, maybe God put me where I am to bring peace to someone else. Okay. So let me continue with the story if I can get my notes back here. Okay. So that was the end of verse 4. So guess what happens? Esther takes the risk. And she goes to the king, and you might not be surprised because it would be a terrible story if she just got killed. So she did not die. And, um, and she does something really cool. She knows the king pretty well, so she, she kind of strings this thing out. So she doesn't go with her request. She basically goes to him, takes the risk, and says, can we kind of have this feast? Can we spend some time together? And Haman, evil Haman, is involved in the whole deal. Okay, and that's happening in chapter 5. At the same time, Haman is still completely honked off at Mordecai. Okay. And to make it even worse, he had to, because the king was so happy with Mordecai, because Mordecai basically had this, hmm, four kids chairs from church. We're still in chairs today, apparently. Um, So Mordecai is, I'm sorry, so Haman is so upset with Mordecai that he has a platform built 75 feet high, and he is going to hang Mordecai on this platform for everybody to see. Yes, to some degree, yeah. You don't work with people like that? 
Yeah, I, I don't know anybody building building seventy five foot platforms to hang people on. Luckily, <clears throat> but the crazy thing is, at the same time, and again, God's name's not mentioned, but the king can't sleep. The king's struggling to sleep one night, and so he says, "Go get my books. Go get the history books, and just come read to me." So he has all of his his helpers, whoever they are, come and start reading these history books. And guess what? The book happens to open up to. The story of Mordecai saving his life. And so the next morning he says, hey, Haman, you're an awesome guy. Everyone loves you. So we're going to use you to help elevate Mordecai. So he says, you go get a horse, put Mordecai on the horse, put a cool robe on him, and then you lead him around the streets to show him how awesome he is. So Mordecai at the same, I mean, Haman is building a thing to hang Mordecai on. And the whole turn of events, now he's having to tote him around the streets to show everybody how great he is. Okay, a little bit of conflict, right? Okay. Um, And so then finally, Esther makes her plea. And this was after multiple days of things happening. Esther makes her plea. And uh, basically, the king starts getting angry. And he says, I want to know who sent this notice out. How did this whole thing get started? And basically Esther says, I tell you this, it's your buddy Haman. It's the dude who bribed you to get you to agree it, agree to this. You know, so the king obviously wasn't paying close attention. He just wanted some extra, extra money uh, when he agreed to the bribe. And so the king is so upset with Haman. I'm sorry, with, yeah, with Haman um, that he looks around and says, would there be a great place to hang Haman? And guess what he found? 75-foot platform that he had built for Mordecai, right? Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. A little sweet justice. Love that. Yeah, if you're not piecing, I didn't tell you everything. So um, what's interesting is that when the king's talking about this whole thing about leading Mordecai around the horse, he doesn't tell Haman who he's talking about. And Haman thinks he's actually talking about Haman. So he, he thinks that the king is asking him how should he be elevated. And so he describes this thing. And then he says, oh, okay, well, then go do that to Mordecai. Okay, so yeah, yeah, it's it's a beautiful story. It's it's the kind of thing that just make a great movie, so... All right. And so the question I have for us, oh, we're good on time too. The question I have for much is how much are we willing to sacrifice to share share God's peace with the world who's suffering? And, um, And I think we need to keep in mind that while we don't have to risk our lives to go in front of a king to save a big portion of the Jewish nation, um, there are just tons and tons of opportunities of this. So I'm going to give you guys just a couple minutes here. What do you guys, what jumps out to you? What are some ways that you think, uh, let's just say in the next three weeks during the holiday season, what are ways that you could maybe sacrifice? 
Um, and you don't automatically have to think about like financial sacrifice or those kinds of things. You kind of get a little creative. What are some things you can do, some areas in your next few weeks that you're already dreading because you know there's going to be lack of peace? And what can you do to, uh, to help ease that suffering? Any thoughts? Because your ideas might spur someone else to think about something to help them along the way. Does the question make any sense? Okay. Man. Uh, I'm just saying some area where you see lack of peace that you think you could sacrifice in some way to help make it better. So it's not necessarily something to bring yourself peace. It's something to bring peace to maybe some situation or some person, um, something that you know. And he doesn't. There's certainly a time to win the battle, and there's a time that it's not worth going after. It's a time it's it, you're better off to just let it be. Yeah. 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 Judy. Oh, fun. And you go, Rawr. Peaceful example. Yeah.
Sure. I'd like to ask if a couple people could go help Savannah. She has communion for us to hand out. We're going to take it out our seats. Um, and so we have some uh, gluten-free crackers that everybody can take a cracker. And then we have some little cups um, with juice in it, and everybody gets their own cup. So we're a multi-cup church today. Um, so if a few people could go assist her with that and spread those out, that would be awesome. Thank you, ladies. Um, what other inputs have you guys got? Ben. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. Anybody else? A way that you might ease a little suffering, bring a little peace to the world over the holidays. Any input? Yes. Yeah, I'll tell you, one for me is uh, is politics are really quite interesting because um, there are areas where I see completely eye-to-eye with different family members on politics, and there's areas that I don't see so eye-to-eye. And I've not been wise in the past about knowing how to deal with that um, because there'll be situations where someone will say, well, we all know one of those kinds of statements, and I'm kind of like, ooh, actually, I don't know that. Um, and that would be my inclination. It would be like, like, why would you say that? I don't, I don't agree with you at all. And yet I, I, the better part of me knows when they say that to go, hmm, okay. You know, don't make a big deal out of it. Oh, okay, that's, that's, where, that's fine, no problem. I know where you stand. That's good. As opposed to making it into something and then making the situation really uncomfortable and it's like that's not why we're here to begin with. You know, I can say what I think. It's not going to change anything anyways. Just kind of let that go. But that's hard. It's hard. Like you said, Judy, when you're wanting to stand your ground and you feel like maybe Christ is being a little bit challenged in the situation, it can be really, really difficult. Anything else? All right, so here's what we're going to do, guys. Huh? I need one, too. I do. Thank you. Hey, there's no tasting it ahead of time. I don't know about that.
Yeah, and, and it's huge. And, you know, it's uh, that kind of praying. I know what you mean, praying. It, it's complex because you try to ask yourself sometimes, like, like you know, th- th- that gets into this deep thing of do we really influence God or do we not? And it's like, oh, okay, that's an interesting topic amongst itself. But there's no doubt that God can work through that bonding you know, and, you know, the lack of food, you know, the amazing impact it has on people to give them well-defined focus and to make a stand as a community and to stand strong for God. It's, it's like it's, it's a lot more than just going and asking for something for God. It's a solidarity. It's a bonding. It's, a, it's just a huge thing. And, uh, yeah, we don't do enough of it probably, do we? So it makes us more grumpy. Okay. Yeah, we don't do this as a community. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm like half with you, but not quite. Everybody stand up. So what we're going to do is we've got one of these uh, reflective reading, responsive reading things, I mean, um, where you guys are red and I'll be white. Um, and then when I get done, I will read from um, a two, two different verses from Matthew, but I'll read a, a verse where Jesus is talking about uh, the, in, during the Last Supper about what the meaning of the loaf, and then another verse where he's talking about the meaning of the juice. So when I read the meaning of the loaf, you can then eat your, uh, your bread or your cracker, and then when I read the juice, we'll read that. So now the other thing that I was thinking is really important here, and you guys are crazy mellow today, so we're going to see if we can pull this off, is that when you go red, when you read the red, is to read it with like some serious authority, okay? It's like, it'll, just, it'll feel fun, right? That's right. All right, so people of God, Esther was a heroic woman who took a great risk to bring peace for her people. We want peace to overcome struggle, violence, and cruelty. Okay, one more time. We want peace. Raise an arm. Struggle, violence, and cruelty. There we go. It can be dangerous to call for peace. This might be the job God needs us to do. Today, oh, no. I don't have my flicker. I'm in trouble. I knew I forgot something. Anybody know where our candle lighter is? Oh, no. All right. We will light the candle momentarily. You'll have to imagine the candles being lit because I don't know where it's at. Okay. So today we light the candle to symbolize God's peace. We hope in the one who, who will come. We pray for God's peace to prevail. People of God take courage. We take courage from the God's peace. Thank you, Jess. Um, this week, I believe, is pink, is it not? It's another purple one? Okay, so light two, two purples. 
Okay, I'm going back up. Today, we light a candle to symbolize God's peace. And then one more. Yeah. We hope in the one who will come. We pray for God's peace to prevail. And we can do it again. People of God, take courage. We take courage from the light of God's peace. All right. And from Matthew, Jesus says, take this bread and eat it. This is my body. And then just after that in Matthew, he says, Every one of you drink this. This is my blood, which is the new agreement that God makes with his people. This blood is poured out for many to forgive their sins. Please drink. All right, folks, I'm going to say a prayer, but if you have a child, go ahead and head that way because we're over time. And, uh, and I will close this out with a prayer. God, we, uh, we thank you for the great story of Esther and for it being recorded for us to read and to remember. God, we ask that your peace will be everywhere during this holiday season. Sometimes we see it in such beautiful ways and we read these wonderful stories, but then there are other things going on that aren't so beautiful. Help us to know when it is our time, when we're in a situation that you've put us in just because you know that we can share your peace. Help us to be aware of that, to not be afraid to share it. And also help us to know, uh, as Herb was saying, to know when we're in those situations when maybe we don't need to say something, but we so badly want to. Um, But we know that it would be uh, a more beautiful thing to just be quiet um, and to let your work go on behind the scenes in that case. God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's through your son we pray. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. Yeah.